This time on Geek Pod Blue. You know it's going to be a messed up show when you actually have to decide whether you want to go with giant cosmic fart nebula or giant cosmic butthole. Warning, station is now code blue. Welcome to this week's edition of Geek Pod Blue. I am your host, Hugh, and I was born with a very devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was born a murderer. No more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing, nor the ambition of an intellectual man to be great. The inclination to murder came to me as naturally as the inspiration to do right comes to the majority of persons. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. Luckily, those are not my words. Uh, those are the words of another, and that brings us to a special holiday edition of Geek Pod Blue. And I thought, what better way to celebrate the uh, birth of our country than by talking about one of our very first serial killers, a man by the name of H.H. Holmes, who is not just um, a random story picked out of a hat. There is actually a current... Uh, new bit of information going into this investigation and uh, I kind of wanted to talk about it so I spent my weekend doing some research and I uh, wanted to share this with you guys now H.H. Uh, Holmes or Triple H as I probably should call him uh, was born May 16th 1861 as Herman Webster Mudgett now he uh, was a very smart child he was bullied of course uh, like many of these serial killers and damaged people are we're not going to use that as an excuse though but he uh, went on to, to medical school and actually graduated, which is apparently very strange. Most serial killers, while smart, have a tendency to manage to get through high school, and then they're not able to really keep the wheels on because they're now out in the real world, and they want to do you know, their main business. They want to get on with the show. Uh, Herman uh, was different in the fact that he was actually able to finish with medical school. Uh, he learned a lot there, had a lot of chances to practice on cadavers, and they're are many nefarious stories about that, and I am deliberately leaving some parts of this story blank because I want you to go look this this stuff up yourself. But uh, he graduated from medical school and he changed his name to H. H. Holmes just to make sure that any odd stories that might have come up while he was a med student weren't going to follow him into the real world. Now he moved to Chicago in 1886 and um, started working at a, a pharmacy. Now, he actually purchased the building and decided to have something built, which uh, eventually became known as his murder, murder castle. Now, what's interesting about this is if you're a, a current watcher of American Horror Story, H.H. Uh, Holmes is actually the inspiration behind Evan Peters' character in American Horror Story Hotel. Uh, so that giant hotel with all sorts of crazy rooms and disposal of bodies, all that stuff, all, all based on this. And while we're going to get into uh, some things that people have come out and said, well, you know, the home story is basically a new American tall tale. Uh, a lot of times, current researchers try to make things smaller than they were. Sometimes they try to make them bigger than they were. 
I disagree with some of the official statements on this story, but I will give you my reasoning why for this. So, H.H. Holmes goes about having this giant, they called it a castle built. Uh, really, it was just a huge building, took up the entire uh, block. The interesting part is he had multiple companies work on this. He would have a company come in, build a part of it, and then he would say, oh, they did a bad job and not pay them. I mean, he was known for all sorts of uh, schemes as far as not paying people for the work they had done and ripping people off. He was definitely a con man and a consummate one at that. Now, multiple companies worked on building uh, this castle. And the first there was the first floor and the third floor were, were generally normal. The third floor was to be used uh, as a hotel. The first uh, floor had shops and things like that. There was a jewelry store. But the second floor is really where all the fun started. Now... <clears throat> He had this designed with multiple murder rooms, basically places where he could kill people, uh, greased chutes to dispose of bodies. Some of the rooms uh, were airtight and had secret gas lines into them so that he could seal the door, turn on the gas, and asphyxiate people. Uh, there were a hundred windowless rooms in this building. I don't know specifically how many of them showed up on the second floor because as we'll, we'll find uh, later on in the story, some of the uh, murdering certainly went on to the third as well. Uh, I saw some pictures of uh, blueprints over the weekend while I was looking into this and I mean I saw 30, 40 rooms you know, per floor. Uh, there were a ton of, of rooms in these. There were staircases that went nowhere. There were doors that opened brick walls, uh, basically to confuse victims, to throw people off. And he went about his business of killing people. Now, officially, he has confessed to 27 murders and then recanted uh, before he was hung and possibly killed. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, the Police have officially linked him to nine murders. However, uh, I, I kind of dispute that because, first of all, when he confessed to 27, he went back and forth. He made up a lot of stuff. He was clearly just... And this is a guy that tried to represent himself in court, uh, like a typical serial killer. He was, he was all about the spotlight being on him. So you can't really trust anything he said at that point. However... I'm going to give you my reasoning for feeling that the, the body count's much higher, and people have posited possibly as high as 200. Now, the uh, the World's Fair had the Columbian Exposition there in Chicago in 1893, and uh, Mr. Holmes canvassed the area with flyers saying there were rooms for rent and, and all this. And he, he had a ton of people come through there, and some of them stayed there and left. Uh, some of them didn't. Now... We officially know of, of several different victims. There was his um, business associate later on, a man named uh, Benjamin um, Pullett. Oh, wow, I completely forgot this dude's name. That is not cool. That's the kind of thing that I should really write down before uh, I start recording. But, uh, okay, hopefully I can find that in real time. Petzl, yes, uh, Petzl, Benjamin Petzl. Now... There, there were several women that we know that he killed, locked in a safe and, and all this stuff, uh, burned in the crematorium in the basement because the, the shoots that went down there, there was a butcher's table, there was a crematorium, uh, uh, there were pits of, uh, of lye, I believe it's called, uh, where bodies could be dissolved, and he would dissolve the bodies, he would clean up the skeletons and actually sell them to universities. Now, uh, there were at least three women uh, who were um, assistants of his that ended up 
uh, we, we know that he killed. There was Benjamin uh, Pietzel. There was his three kids. Okay, that is seven total that we're sure were killed here. Now, you think, well, that's pretty good for a serial killer. You know, you're right, it is. However, uh, this man operated in Chicago uh, with out supervision without anybody having any clue what was going on for a very long time there's even the guy he bought the pharmacy from mysteriously disappeared business associates would mysteriously disappear and then i have to come back to the columbian exposition okay hundreds of people disappeared during that time and this is back before there were cell phones you know people didn't didn't send a telegram saying hey i'm staying at the hh holmes uh, murder house no, I mean, they, they get into town. I mean, it takes them five days to get there by horse and cart. Uh, they find a place to stay. They're happy. They enjoy the fair. They disappear. All their family knows is that they were in Chicago, and that's a big place. So, I mean, there are so many people that disappeared during that time, it's hard to tell. My feeling that there's no way that the body count number of nine can be accurate is very simply this. A hundred windowless rooms in a torture basement... The people that we just talked about him killing, Benjamin and his family, they were all killed afterwards away from the castle on a cross-country crazy conning spree. Uh, had nothing to do with the murder castle. Um, one does not simply build a hundred murder room castle and kill, what, three people there? That doesn't make sense. Uh, given the number of people that disappeared and the fact that he had so many people uh, come to stay from the fair. I, I mean, maybe not 200, but got to be closer to 100. I mean, seriously, first of all, you think he designed different kills for each room. You figure he's going to try every single one of those at least once before he takes off to go on a, a cross-country con man spree. I mean, wouldn't you think? I mean, you spend all this money, you build this perfect, evil, sick, uh, twisted playground for yourself, and then you take off and go on vacation for months? No. This guy stayed there, and he killed people like a boss. You know, I bet you. And we're never going to know because the, the bodies were chopped up, they were the flesh was dissolved, the bones were burned, or they were sold uh, as skeletons to universities and things like that. We'll never know the actual number, but I refuse to believe that he would put all that effort into that giant sadistic castle and kill three people there just makes no sense. That is my own opinion, though. I do not pretend to have any uh, special insight into this story or his psyche. Uh, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, th look at it this way. Imagine if I spent a ton of money and build myself the most amazing recording studio for making podcasts, recorded three more episodes of Geek Pod Blue, and then decided to be a circus clown and gave up podcasting for good. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Neither does this. Now, as far as the capture of H.H. H. Holmes, uh, that goes... Uh, the story gets a little wonky there because his business associate and him uh, co concocted a uh, plan to rip off insurance companies. He went across the country. There's a whole bunch of stuff there that really kind of pulls it out of of the, the murder house or the first serial killer theme I'm kind of going with. If you're interested in finding out about this, by all means, look him up. Uh, there's also a great movie that's available to rent on uh, Amazon uh, Direct and probably other places. It might even be on Netflix about H.H. H. Holmes. A uh, great documentary that I enjoyed this weekend. Now, eventually he was captured only because he forgot to give a guy 500 bucks. Somebody that uh, he had shared a jail cell with, he told them 
the story and said, hey, you know, if you can help me out, I will cut you in. And he never did. So the guy turned him in because, you know, there's no honor among thieves. Uh, so he was captured. He had a, it was a huge, huge trial. I mean, this was O.J. Simpson trial level uh, back then. I mean, this this is, you, you got to remember, this is a very long time ago. This is the turn of the century. Um, newspapers were being sold uh, by the fistful because people wanted to know what was going to happen next. Jack the Ripper had just been a big story over in England, and everyone was happy that, you know, hey, at least we didn't have this kind of stuff happening here in America. And then lo and behold, you know, a very prolific, very high-profile serial killer that, again, you know, was a doctor. He ran a pharmacy. He was, to a degree, respected. Uh, they discovered all sorts of things, like he had three wives all at the same time. None of them knew about each other, and that's not counting the mistresses that, you know, he that started off as his assistants and uh, eventually ended up in his dungeon, and nobody saw them again. Um, all sorts of crazy stuff happened, but the bottom line is that at the end of this trial, he was convicted, and he was going to die. Now, here's where we get to what's currently happening. Um, when when he was hanged hung, hanged, hung? I don't know. I don't want to say when, you know, I don't want to say he was hung because I, I don't know any information about that particular part of his body and that just makes me feel weird. Um, but he was hanged by the neck until dead, we thought. Now, there has been a rumor going on for years and years that he had somehow escaped and gotten away to like South America and become a dentist or something like that. Now, you know, there's always rumors about serial killers like that, but hold on a second. Now, he had requested that he be uh, buried with a concrete slab over top of his, his grave because he was worried that people were going to try to take his body parts and all that kind of stuff. I find it interesting that they were like, hey, you evil serial killer guy that we're going to, you know, kill because you killed all these people. Oh, you'd like something special? Okay, we'll do that for you. I don't get that. I, I, I guess maybe, you know, the, the final request of a, uh, a dying man, I don't know, but I would have been like, oh, fuck no, we're not giving you a special burial. But they, they granted that. Another thing is he actually wrote out his own story um, near the end of his life, and it was uh, while he was in prison. And it was, you know, sent out to the public. He was basically trying to make a case for uh, his innocence. And one of the things that he said in that, and then when he then after that he confessed, and then he pulled it back again. He said, "My features have been changing. I've been taking on more of a form of of the devil or something like that. My face has elongated." Uh, basically, putting the idea in people's heads that he was physically changing. Now. The reason that this is pertinent is the theory is that he may have, since he was a very successful con man, gotten the guards to hang him in a way where he wouldn't die and allow him to escape. The body that would have ended up being buried, you know, if they found someone who was a little skinnier, you know, certainly, you know, when someone's dead, they look a little different, could have been passed off. And then the fact that they threw the concrete slab on top so quickly uh, would certainly, you know, the one could get in and check. You know, if someone did hear a rumor, well, there's 5,000 tons of concrete on top of him. You know, we're going to assume he's there and not in South America. Now, these rumors come from multiple places. Uh, they come from a few different guards. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things, you know, can it be verified? Not this far after the fact. It's been far too long for us to ever truly know. Uh, but the rumors persisted that he had set up shop in South America somewhere. Now, his current descendants have now decided that they want to set this to rest. And uh, back in, I believe it was the end of March, his body was exhumed. 
and they are doing genetic testing. The court said the body can re remain out, I believe it was three months, before it has to be reinterred regardless of what the uh, the reveal is on the DNA test. But what they want to find out is, is this really their ancestor? And if not, maybe we're going to start hunting in South America or somewhere else to find out where H.H. H. Holmes really went up. Certainly fascinating, and a guy getting exhumed 100 years after his death just to prove that it's actually him, I'm kind of riveted, and I, I can't wait to see what happens here because we, we have myths all the time. We have urban legends. We have you know, stories that we tell people that you know probably aren't true, but it gives us a good scare. How often do we have one of those stories where we're now going to get maybe some form of confirmation on, it, confirmation on it years down the road. That just doesn't happen with things like that. I mean, I don't recall anyone saying, hey, we've just got some proof of the hook man. And I've seen lots of TV shows about proof of Bigfoot that give me no proof of Bigfoot. So uh, this is at least something happening in the real world that's violently interesting. So I'm certainly hoping that the family chooses to release those uh, records once they have the testing done because they're certainly not under any obligation to do so but it would certainly be a very sad thing if they did not now moving on from hh holmes and i certainly hope you guys will do a little research and uh you know dig a little deeper see if it's an interesting story to you i did want to bring you guys up to date on uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, Twin Peaks, I believe, is going to be taking a break uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, they just aired their eighth episode, and uh, we don't do a recap here because this show is fucking ridiculous and we hate it, uh, but I am going to continue telling you, telling you how ridiculous it is. Um, this week, there was a very brief scene with actual people, and then it descended into a music video, kind of like a Tool music video, but not cool. Uh, with giant cosmic nebula buttholes shooting fart clouds at each other for far, far longer than it needed to do. To do. And, and then the rest of it just made absolutely no sense. It, it really was. If this was... If you set this to Black Sabbath music and just played it on MTV from, like, you know, midnight to three in the morning, fuck, I'd turn that on and watch it you know, the entire time if I was still young enough to be up at that time. But this had no narrative, no story. I read some reviews afterwards and like, oh, well, it's showing how the evil demon Bob escaped from, I don't want to insert the word giant fart nebula, but of course, no. Uh, actually, it was some crazy cosmic star lady that puked lots of stuff and there was a bubble that had a face in it i mean seriously guys this i can't even make this shit up this is so ridiculous um maybe again i'm too old and i just don't get it but uh this is dumb after watching that episode i'm like well artistically i get it you know it was cool they did have a whole nine inch nails music video right in the middle of it i mean complete with nine inch nails on stage I mean, I shit you not. They they go break away from the the one one scene they had. This guy walks up because the, the, there's always a scene in this bar in every episode, and he goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, the Roadhouse or whatever it is is proud to present to you the Nine Inch Nails." And there's Trent Reznor, and his band plays a song, and then it goes into all this weird shit. It's probably just because he's a fan, and him and uh, you know. A, They've worked together. Him and David Lynch have worked together, so maybe he just wanted to be on the show and provide some music, which is cool. But, I mean, yeah, really, it was one scene, a music video, dumb shit. I, that would be my review right there.
for Twin Peaks Episode 8. I don't fucking know. Uh, anyway, I think it's time to move on to the news. And it's time for the news. Now, there is not a whole lot going on in entertainment this week. There seems to be a whole lot going on in the world itself, though. But we're going to start up with uh, some news about the new Batman and Harley Quinn movie. Apparently, it is also getting a comic book series. There's going to be a five-part prequel and then a seven-part anthology series picking up where the movie left off. Now, it looks like at least part of this might be digital or all of it may be digital only. DC has had a lot of luck with uh, digital comics, uh, just uh, pointing specifically to Injustice and now Injustice 2. Uh, They've been fantastic for the company and some of the best comic books that they've been putting out and they're not even in book form next up robert downey jr is again talking about leaving the marvel cinematic universe talking to australianews.com he says he does not want to blow it for the last six or seven i assume he means movies with his history you certainly cannot uh, take anything for granted now uh, oddly enough all he needs to do now is show up. I mean, not even in costume. I mean, he really doesn't have to do stunt work anymore. And the, considering how hard he partied when he was younger, he certainly does not look his age. I think that unless he starts phoning it in, he doesn't really have anything uh, to worry about blowing it for the last six or seven films. Interestingly enough, he's thinking, you know, in his own words, uh, possibly being around that long and he certainly hasn't blown it on any of the films so far so while this certainly says he wants to leave on a high note I, i do not think that he's planning on leaving anytime soon and should he decide to then i'm sure it's time for you know disney mcduck to open up the money vault and back up a truck because you know that's all it's really going to take to keep him around at least for a bit part Next up, Jennifer Connelly's role in Spider-Man Homecoming has finally been revealed. Now, this I find very interesting. Um, As we know, uh, Peter Parker uh, in uh, Civil War got uh, a Spidey suit that was uh, created by Tony Stark. Now, I don't know if it's going to get even more of an upgrade, but apparently that suit has an AI. Uh, Jennifer Connelly plays the voice of Karen, which is the Spidey suit's AI. Now, we're fairly certain he's going to lose that suit pretty early on in this movie, Uh, but it's interesting because... Jennifer Connelly is also married to Paul Bettany, who was the voice of Jarvis, the AI for a Tony suit, as well as eventually becoming Vision. Uh, I think that's a really neat Easter egg, and uh, I'm kind of glad they threw that in there. That's kind of cool. Next up, and this is certainly, uh, I think, the most interesting news we've had this week. Uh, Apparently, proof may have surfaced that Amelia Earhart survived her crash. Now, if you don't know who she is... um, Turn off this podcast and go jump off a bridge. No, I'm kidding. Use Wikipedia like everybody else. Uh, Amelia Earhart uh, attempted to, to make one of the uh, the longest flights. And man, I really should have written down the, the years here now because I'm, I'm going to sound stupid. Basically, what happened is she was trying to fly around the world or you know be the first woman to, to make the longest flight ever. And uh, her plane went down and they never found anything. They found a, a few pieces of it. Uh, and it's been assumed that she died um, somewhere in the Pacific. Now... There apparently have been rumors for years that she showed up on a, an island in the South Pacific and was taken away by the Japanese because they controlled that at the time. They controlled the South Pacific and uh, lived out her days, I, I don't know, as a prisoner or a, at least uh, somebody that they did not want to let go. Uh, maybe they thought she was a spy. I mean, who knows? Things were kind of sketchy internationally back then. Uh, but what happened was a picture has surfaced of her and her navigator, Fred Noonan, 
in Jaluit Atoll, which was under Japanese control at the time. Now, forensic scientists have looked at these pictures, and they're fairly certain this really is Fred Noonan and Amelia Earhart. Um, just because of some distinctive features, uh, Fred Noonan had a very distinctive nose and hairline, but also uh, the person who was Amelia Earhart uh, was wearing pants, had the, the short haircut like she did. Uh, definitely not something you'd find on somebody native to that area. Uh, and they're on a dock, and there's a boat that appears to be the boat they got off that is towing something behind it that is approximately 38 feet long, which is how long their aircraft was. So it sounds like uh, the Japanese found them, towed their stuff back, probably impounded it, and um, put them somewhere to live out the rest of their lives. Now... I find it fascinating because, again, just like uh, the, the first story in this episode, how often does something new come to light on a mystery that old? I mean, what an exciting time to live in. And the fact that, that something new can be discovered about this this far after the fact just blows my mind. You have to wonder, was this picture really just found or was somebody sitting on it going, you know, I know the secret? Uh, I guess we'll never know, but hopefully further investigation will get us a more definitive answer. I just wonder if the Japanese did keep her under lock and key, if they would ever be willing to admit that. That could be a, a very big international faux pas. Um, finally, I just want to throw something out there. Because uh, it's a little bit, something happened this week that I find a little bit concerning. And I'm just thinking, you know, isn't it about time, you know, somebody does something about North Korea? Kind of letting the... Uh, let that sink in for a second. Um, I generally swing uh, liberal on just about everything. You know, I'm certainly for um, talks and nego negotiations and all that. But on July 4th, North Korea tested a, a international missile. And this missile went far enough, and it's been confirmed by the Japanese and the U.S. They now have the ability to hit the U.S. with a, a missile. Not the continental U.S. They can hit Alaska, possibly Hawaii. But they can hit all of Alaska. And not too long ago, our leaders said, oh, well, they're trying to develop this, but they will never develop a missile um, that will have the capability of hitting the United States. I think they said that a month ago. Yeah, they now have a missile with the capability of hitting the United States. I understand that they want to try to do things with sanctions and all that, but, I mean, isn't that kind of like going to the crazy guy who keeps saying, I want to kill you, and saying, what? You're doing what we told you not to? Okay, no TV after 9, and you're not allowed to import Kellogg's Frosted Flakes into your country anymore. I mean, this shit obviously isn't working. You know, I don't know that I know the answer, and I'm not coming out and saying, hey, we need to blow them off the map, because people have said, well, there'll be casualties, and South Korea could get hit. Um, you know what? If they blow San Francisco off the map... There's still going to be casualties in South Korea because our allies will help. There's still going to be casualties in North Korea. The big differentiator there will be um, part of California will also be gone. Uh, it just feels to me like this guy is not listening to anything anybody tries to do. And, I mean, I have friends in California. My job is based out of California. It's really scary to think the next missile they test could have the capability of hitting there. And you know what? People should be just as angry that they can hit Alaska. It's like now our current administration is saying, well, it's only Alaska. Yeah, it's only one of our states, one of the United States of America. It should matter just, just as much as any other. Um, people should be really angry about this. And uh, I don't know, I, I'm just, I'm concerned that we're going to negotiate our, ourselves into a radiated or irradiated West Coast. Um, again, I, I don't want anybody to think that I am saying I think war is a good idea, but I do think that you have to, with some situations and some crazy people, you have to stop and go, okay, this clearly isn't going to work. We have to try something else. And I'm thinking about the security of South Korea, of Japan, of our West Coast, of eventually the entire country if they continue developing this program. 
really scary. Really would like to see something done about that. You guys have any uh, suggestions, or if you think I'm wrong, feel free uh, to send me an email at uh, geekpodblue at gmail.com. I'm certainly willing to, to listen to other perspectives. Like I said, I'm not cemented in my perspective. It just feels like the time for negotiation is over, and that's not something that I say lightly or ever. Uh, but you guys should know that about me anyway. And that's going to be the news, folks. <laughs> And that means it's time for the GeekPod Mailbox. So uh, we all we have are questions from Nick Mormon this week, uh, known as Webcam Nick. So it looks like it's going to be a short segment this week. First up, what's the cooler car, the Mystery Machine or Sam, the Sam and Dean car from Supernatural? Um, you know, I want to say the Impala from Supernatural, but in truth, the Mystery Machine uh, defines cool. Uh, and then again, you never know. We might find out which one of those vehicles is cooler when those two properties mash up this fall on the CW. Next up, where would you want the doctor to take you if you could go anywhere in time and space? Oh, that's a tough question. Anywhere, considering that we don't actually know what's out there in time and space, that's a really difficult question to answer. Uh, probably, though, I've thought about time travel in the past. I would like to go to the future just to see if we ever manage to pull ourselves out of this shithole that we're in. Uh, you know, if we ever manage to make it to a Star Trek-like future, you know, pre-Borg, you know, where everybody's happy and not killing each other over religion and politics and other dumb things. Uh, so, yeah, I'd probably have the Doctor take me to the future in a couple hundred years just to see if mankind's shaped up. Uh, next up, how do you feel about the 12th Doctor leaving the show? Uh, you know, they, they did a smart thing uh, at the end of this uh, season finale by having the first Doctor show up, played by David Bradley, because it certainly lessened the sadness that I thought I was going to have, because I knew this was the last regular episode the 12th Doctor would have. We would still have him for the Christmas special. Um, but I feel... I, I, am, I am sad about that, because... I think Peter Capaldi had the potential to be the best doctor we ever had. Could have been better than Tom Baker. Could have been better than David Tennant. Uh, he he has acting chops that are significantly uh, greater than any person to ever uh, take the role, possibly with the exception of John Hurt briefly playing the war doctor in that one special. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, he is official, but you know, he played the doctor for one episode. Um, definitely out of the rest of them, uh, Peter Capaldi had the best acting chops, and I think this last season really showed that. He had a lot of um, good verbal material to work with, but again, he was saddle saddled with very... I, I don't know. I, the, the script writing has been iffy. I, I was happy when Stephen Moffat took the show over years ago because he'd written some of the best episodes uh, of the new Doctor Who. And for at least, you know, with Matt Smith, when he had that whole... Um, Doctor Who has fairy tale kind of vibe. It definitely worked for that Doctor, but it hasn't worked so well for Peter Capaldi. Uh, his first season, most of those stories were written with Matt Smith in mind, so they had to, um, you know, figure out exactly how to handle that. His um, second season, it seemed like they were finally working with him and trying to find his footing. And then the third season, I mean, this last one's been really good, uh, but really the stories have have kind of had bad plot holes, ridiculous things going on, and I just feel like we could have had a much stronger, more serious um, doctor so that when he's he's playful, uh, it, it really matters. Now, there is something to be said for uh, what we see in this final episode, uh, and we kind of see his journey come full circle, because 
in the, his very first episode, he asks uh, Clara if he's a good man. I think it was the first episode. Uh, because he truly doesn't know. He's not sure who he is. Uh, he doesn't know if he's a good man. Uh, what we find at the end of this is, you know, he is is a good man. He has been a good man. And he is, in, in his words, he's a good man because he's kind. He does good without witness or reward. Uh, I, I think that that was pretty powerful, and we certainly did see the character. The, the character had an arc that I didn't see coming, you know, until the, this last episode. I wasn't really sure where they were going with it, so there was some thought put into that. But some of these episodes, certainly, the stories would have fit a different Doctor, a zanier Doctor, a little bit more. Uh, so I, I'm sad to see him go, and I feel like we never actually saw his full potential, and I was really hoping that he would stay on for at least one season when Chris Chidmail takes over. Uh, hopefully, you know, we'll still end up with something decent. Next up, are you a fan of Breaking Bad? If so, should they bring back the show? You know, I've heard Breaking Bad is an amazing show, and I cannot say that I'm a fan. Now, I did attempt to sit down and watch the first season years ago. I got through the first couple episodes, and while I thought the acting was strong and it was certainly interesting, it didn't grip me. You know, I was expecting this to grab right a hold of me like Game of Thrones did, and it just didn't. Now, I've been told that the first season is a little bit slow, and that's a common complaint. Um, I've never gone back to it, just too many other things to watch. I certainly may do that at some point. As for whether they can bring it back, I thought the main character died at the end, and I thought the equivalent of bringing it back was Better Call Saul, uh, but I could be wrong. Next up, what's got you into geek stuff in the first place? Well, um... It certainly wasn't good grammar. Uh, I think I was born that way. Uh, the, the story is that uh, my mother, I mean, she watched uh, Star Trek when it was first or, uh, on originally, and uh, she was a big Doctor Who fan, and back when I was born, Doctor Who was on uh, during the weeknights. It was on Channel 24 at 7.30, and they would show it in half-hour episodes, so instead of the full stories, they'd split them up like they were broadcast in Britain, and it'd be on Monday through Friday. Now, the story I'm told is the night my mother brought me home from the hospital, she sat down on the couch with me in her arms and watched Doctor Who, and that's just what she did. So I, I apparently never had a chance. Um, it, it, it was ingrained in me from day one. Uh, so as soon as I was old enough to decide what I wanted to watch, I wanted to watch Doctor Who. Uh, I, As a, a young child, like my first... Uh, I'm, of course, I'm sure I had some letter books and stuff like that, but the first books I remember reading... Um, after Golden Books, so I must have been, I mean, I was really young, like six or seven years old, uh, was going to Twilight Book and Game Emporium or Ravenswood out in Utica and getting uh, novelizations of Doctor Who episodes, uh, the Target novelizations. Um, You know, I was just, in fact, it helped me read on a a much higher level than than my peers, at least initially. You know, that's that's one of the reasons that I think I did so well in school is I was reading very complex stuff at a young age. Of course, that obviously led into comic books. You can't walk into a comic store to buy a Doctor Who book without ending up with some comics as well. And that really started the whole thing. And uh, I continued on with it when I became a teenager because, you know, Star Trek came back on Fox. Um, Not just The Next Generation, but they started showing the original show on weeknights. And, of course, I got to discover it because prior to that it had not been on in syndication. And we were too poor to have cable, so I'm not sure if it was on there. Uh, But that got me into Star Trek. And then the next generation came out a few years later, and the whole family loved it. So, yeah, I've pretty much been steeped in geek stuff from day one. Now, next question. Are you and Paul gay lovers? Uh, I don't think so. 
You know, I mean, we do have that joke we always say, that's not what you said last night, which uh, originated, I believe, when we were out in Buffalo. Buffalo or Saratoga, one of the two. Uh, but, no, I, I've, I've smelled some awful things he's left in the bathroom, but I have not seen his penis. So, pretty sure we're not gay lovers. Uh, and lastly, and I know I... And I know I don't remember if I asked this, but there's something on my junk and it looks bad. Can you help me? You're a doctor, right? You know, I think you might have asked me this one once before. Um, clearly, you did not take my advice. Uh, so I'm going to say burn it with fire. That's what I do with anything that scares me. And that's going to cover the mailbox this week. And that's really going to wrap up the show. So make sure you tune in next week when we'll finally find out why teen mom is still a thing. I mean, shouldn't it be middle-aged mom with kids in high school? I really don't understand this. Till then, tuck and roll, kids. GeekPod Blue is a GeekPod Network production. Executive producers Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Concept created by Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Intro is Opportunity by Jameis Breed. Closing is Bucket by Jameis Breed. Both licensed for use by Dennis Johnston. Want to help the show? Leave a five-star rating on iTunes. GeekPod can be reached at contribute at geekpod.com or send us a tweet at geekpod. That's G33KPOD. You can also find GeekPod on Facebook and Instagram. G33KPOD. That's G33KPOD.